0: And we're in Numbers chapter 5, so we're going through the Old Testament on Wednesday night. We spent about a year and a half in the book of Genesis, and I, uh, that's, that's up on podcast, by the way, if you want to listen to that. You can get a podcast and listen to it while you're mowing the lawn or driving around or whatever. Um, Genesis, Exodus, and, and now we're here in Numbers. We did Leviticus on Sunday night, and now we're in Hebrews on Sunday night. But uh, here on Wednesday night, we're in chapter 5, going chapter by chapter, verse by verse through this Old Testament book of numbers. The first uh, four chapters, uh, God was numbering. He's organizing the people. They've been at at the base of Mount Sinai for a little less than a year, and now they're getting ready to move out into the promised land. And in order to get there, they have to be organized. Why? Because there's two and a half million of them. It's really important that they be organized. So God has them count the fighting men in chapter one, remember, because they're going to have a lot of battles on their way, which again parallels the Christian life, your life, my life. We have a lot of battles as we go through the wicked world. Who wouldn't agree with that? Just recently, I, I was so disappointed. I think I shared this Sunday, but the New York, you know, Senate and the governor, and they all stand around with smiles on their face because they can abort a child up to nine months now, just tear it to shreds in the womb, like murder. Literally. We are in a wicked world. We are in battles as Christians, and we need to understand that. Our lives parallel these one That's why we study the Old Testament. Why do we study it? Because all these things are written, Paul says in Corinthians, for our benefit, so that we can grow. So we need to study the Old Testament, really important. The fighting men are numbered. That's why the book's called Numbered, by the way, because everybody's numbered. And then you remember the last couple of chapters were the the sons of Levi, uh, Merari, Kohath, what was the other one's name, Uh, Gershon. And they were numbered because because they weren't numbered in fighting men because they were Levites. They're going to serve in the ministry, the tabernacle. So they were not counted originally. And then they're counted in this past chapter because they're the ones that are going to minister in the tabernacle. They're going to tear it down. They're going to set it up as they move to the promised land. They'll be doing it for about 40 years, as you'll recall. So they, they have to know what to do. God is organizing the people in these first chapters here. They know where to sleep at night because there's a banner. There's the banner uh, around the, the encampment. I think I've got a picture of that encampment we can put up here behind me. All the sons of Levi knew what jobs they were supposed to do. The fighting men are numbered. They know what they're supposed to do. Everybody knows where they're supposed to camp because God's going to move his people out. This chapter, chapter 5, God is going to do something more. In order to prepare his people to go into the promised land, he's going to insist, he's going to call on, he's going to make them responsible for their own personal sin. He wants his people to be different than every other nation. Even as they go into Canaan, the promised land, he wants his people to be holy, to be separate. I've called this study tonight, Sanctification Through Separation. God calls you and I, again, paralleling our lives with the lives of these people in in the book of Numbers. He wants us to be separate from sin. To make choices to deliberately set ourselves apart from the wicked world. that We're to be in the world, but not of the world. We're to walk a life of faith in this world, but we're not to participate in sin and known sin. Christians are supposed to be sanctified or set apart from sin. Very important for us to really get that. And that's really what we're seeing here in chapter 5. Now, that's wonderful, wonderful application. I'm going to do my best to make that application. But this is a chapter on holiness. And there's a couple of different things we'll see in the next few chapters about that very thing. Let me ask a question before we pray tonight. What if everyone in our church only lived to please themselves? They came to this church. They did what they wanted to do, they talked when they wanted to talk, they only shook hands with people, they, they, and they just lived the way they wanted, do you think God would bless that? And the same thing is true about these children of Israel. If God's going to bless them and, and lead them into victorious battle as they go through the wilderness, if God's going to bless them as a people, it's going to be because they're holy. When they become wicked, God judges, Right? Same thing in our lives. We remove ourselves from the spout where the glory flows out when we choose to be ourselves and self-gratify and live for self and sin and, and do our own thing. And Christians do that, by the way. You can fall back into old habits and still be a believer in Christ. You'll just be defeated and, and you'll be miserable as a Christian. And so we need to learn how to to. Move into the promised land, into what's known as rest. Uh, I'm going to talk about that this Sunday night in in Hebrews. I'm teaching Hebrews. It's it's all about the rest. Uh, Canaan represents rest. God leading us to that place, the promised place of rest, where he's going to provide for these people. But they have to sanctify themselves. They have to separate themselves from sin. That's what this is all about, setting oneself apart from sin. I've titled it Sanctification Through Separation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word. As we read this chapter, Lord, I pray that we would learn, that we would see the importance and we would learn from the experiences of these people, these ancient people. And so open our hearts, open our minds, Lord, to teach us the truth of your word tonight. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's begin reading here in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper, everyone, or everyone who has a discharge, or whoever becomes defiled by a corpse. You shall put out both male and female, and you shall put them outside the camp, that they may not defile their camps in the midst of which I dwell. And the children of Israel did so, and they put them That would be the sick outside the camp. As the Lord spoke to Moses, to the children of Israel, they did it. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. When a man or woman commits any sin that men commit in unfaithfulness against the Lord, and that person is guilty, then he shall confess the sin which he has committed. He shall make restitution for his trespass in full plus 20% or one-fifth of it, and give it to the one he has wronged. But if a man, verse 8, has no relative to whom restitution may be made for the wrong, the restitution for the wrong must go to the Lord for the priest, in addition to the ram of the atonement which, uh, with which atonement is made for him. Every offering of all the holy things of the children of Israel, which they bring to the priest, shall be his, the priest's. And every man's holy thing shall be his. Whatever any man gives, the priest shall be his. Now, you read that quickly and, and you go, what's going on here? And it's, I, love, I love the text of Scripture. I love to study it because there's lots going on here. And the first thing you may have noticed, he's saying, let's separate the leper, separate the sick. And you, the, your first thought is, wow, why, why would God do that? Why, why would God say, so? how many of you, when you get sick, Leave your house and go to the hospital. How many do that? Why do you do that? You isolate you from the sickness in your healthy family, right? So this is what God's doing. I call this first section a desert hospital. because That's kind of what it is. I mean, that's my first point here. But notice verse 2 again. Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper, the, just one who has to discharge, whoever becomes defiled. Remember, those are the things. As we studied the book of Leviticus, You don't touch a dead thing. And if you did, if someone was dead and you had to move the body, you couldn't go into God's presence for seven days. And you had to perform this ceremonial cleansing. And and for right reason, right? There's two and a half million people here. There's got to be disease flowing. How are you going to keep your people healthy? You're going to separate them from the disease. And so these are the diseases. And God's just saying, listen, you have to get them out of the camp and they have to be somewhere where they can have care, but they're put out of the camp. Again, and really the idea is a hospital there with all those that had contagious diseases were put in isolation there. So put out of the camp was not a charge of sin, but sickness, actual physical infirmity, infirmity, uh, leprosy, unclean discharges, and dead bodies, which when you think of those things, Sin and disease is always a result of, of uh, death, pardon me, of sin. All of that is a result of the Adamic sin that's been happening for up to this point, a couple thousand years from that first sin. If you sin, you surely will die. Remember, God told Adam and the snake, the slithery snake says to Eve, you won't really die, you're not going to die. Remember, that was the first lie. Sin always brings forth death, always. And here, so here's a case of these sicknesses that were separated from the camp. God wants the people to understand this principle of isolation from sin. He's teaching them. Remember, these, they're, they're pretty infantile in their understanding of God. They've been 400 years in Egypt. They've learned all of the gods and goddesses and all the f- idol worship and, and that's gone on in Egypt. They've lived it. They've been reminded of their past and who they are, but they haven't lived it. Now they're separate from Egypt. God's brought them out of sin, and he's he's made a brand-new nation with brand-new laws, calling them to be separate and holy to him. And now as they start their journey into the promised land, he's giving them more. Listen, you've got to take care of these things on your own. You've got to separate yourself when you're sick. So that's that's really what this section says is about God wants these people to understand what separation is. And he wants them to understand the effect of their own sin and how to take care of it as well. What do you do when you sin? How do we deal with that? That's really, again, what this section is about. So here's another question I have. Have you, have I, have we as a people, have we separated ourselves from sin, from known sin? Some of the sins are so obvious, you know, stealing, adultery. Those things are obvious. There's other things that are more subtle, like covetousness, obviously, desiring something that's not yours and living only for that and letting that get in between you and the Lord in worship, coveting something. But we as as people are to understand that there are things in our lives that we are to separate ourselves from could be possessions or maybe it's old relationships, drug buddies, drinking buddies, the Super Bowl. I was invited over to my buddy's house. You know, we used to just do the brewski thing or whatever you do at one of those things. And everybody gets blasted and they watch a game. I, I think, I mean, I've never done that, but sometimes you just need to say no and separate you, yourself from the known sin. Because you'll be, you'll be defiled. God does not want his people to be defiled. He wants us to make conscious choices to separate ourselves from known sin. That's really what this is. When you first came to Christ, think about it. All things passed away and what? All things? Here's the verse behind me on the screen, 2 Corinthians 5. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. God's given you a brand new heart, a brand new desire. And you're supposed to let the old man die. You're supposed to let the old things go. Everything's new in your life. And so part of that newness is a desire to be pure, a desire to be holy, like he's holy in all things. I'm not judging you. If the Holy Spirit has got his finger on your heart about something tonight, it's not me. I haven't mentioned those things. It's the Lord. Be thankful for that. Thank God for this Holy Spirit And now that you know what it is, you can make those choices to stay away from those things. So God has organized these people, preparing them to go into the promised land. Now he's called them to purity. He's calling them to holiness here because when they get into the promised land, he wants them to be his people. And he wants all the other nations to look at the the Hebrews and say, they're different than us. They have a different diet. They wear different clothes. They... They worship a living God who has done miraculous things. In fact, these nations all around these people, they know there's something special about them. Those are the people that God opened the ocean, the ocean, the whole ocean opened up and they walked through on dry ground. How do you know? Oh, we we, we heard about it. We saw evidence of it. We know it was true. Really? Wow. They have a powerful God. And God did things for these people that that were not known of any they their miracles. God's leading them through the, the desert land, and he wants his people to be different. He wants them to be known different. Parallel that to your life tonight, to my life tonight. God wants you to be different. He wants me to be separate so that he can now use me for his glory and his purpose. It's hard to share the gospel with someone when you're involved in the same sin. But when you're separate and you're pure, you can really minister in an effective way for the Holy Spirit, for God sharing the gospel. So God's organizing these people, and He wants them to, to uh, leave Sinai, at the foot of this mountain, and they're going to go into the desert in this wicked area the, the, around all these other nations. And He wants His people to be organized, He wants them to be separate, He wants them to be free from sin and disease and all these things. He wants his people to be holy. Look at verse 3 real quick again. You shall put out male and female and put them outside the camp that they should not defile their camps in the midst which I dwell. And the children of Israel did so. They put them outside the camp. So the sick people were set outside. God has established a hospital. He's isolated people for their diseases, and obviously they're going to get some kind of care. And everyone's accountable. Fighting men, priests, and now the whole block of people. See how God's ordered his people. He's organized his people. Again, if we don't separate ourselves from sin, like this nation was called to, we too will contaminate others. Man, The only thing I want to give, the disease I want to give people is Jesus. That's all I wanted to give. If you want to contaminate somebody with something, it's got to be Jesus Christ and the gospel. Otherwise, it's, it's sin. Proverbs 27, verse 6. Look at this verse. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. I love it when a, a brother comes to me and says, did you really mean that? I saw you do this. Did you really do that on purpose? Because it wasn't the most loving thing gentle and loving. A brother, or sister comes to you and says something. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. When you get lost in your sin, and sometimes you don't know, God will send someone into your life. And it stings. It hurts. It's no fun. I've been there. God's called me to go and tell another brother or a sister over the years of ministry. And I don't do it a lot. I, 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 but when God calls you to do it, you've got to do it. And you go gently, and you go humbly, and you you go to that person and you just make an appeal like, oh, bro, you're, you didn't really mean that, did you? Faithful are the wounds of a friend to, to lead someone out of the impurity, out of sin, back closer to the Lord. Verse 5 through 10 here, notice God orders the people to confess and make restitution. We, we read it, but the Lord spoke to Moses, speak to the children when a man commits a sin that men commit in unfaithfulness against the Lord, and that person is guilty. So the sin is against people, but it's also against the Lord. I, I see this as theft or, you know, somebody steals something, somebody picks up something as they're walking through. It wasn't theirs, and they pick it up, and they hoard it. It's mine now. It really wasn't theirs. And they're sinning against not only that person in, in their theft, but they're sinning also against the Lord. Verse 7 uh, he shall confess the sin which he commits and then make restitution by giving it back plus 20%. That's, that's the point here. I was thinking about this, and I, I know that some of you are parents, and I, this is such an important principle to teach your kids at a young age. Teach them, number one, confession. Confession is so good. When you teach your children at a young age to confess their sin, in other words, you hold them accountable. What we did in our home was I took one of my five at their early age when they had done something willfully deliberate to their mom or to me, but mainly to their mom. I would take them and say, you need to tell mommy, ah! you need to tell them, ah! don't, they don't want to do it. You need to tell mom and confess. And we would, th- we, this would go over and over until they finally confessed. That was step one. Step two is restitution, some kind of penalty equal to the crime. For us, it's, a lot of times it's a swat on the rear end, you know, nothing to break their poor little emotional. Sometimes they just need that little shock to get them and listen to your, your training. I, I used it constantly on my four boys, constantly. Constantly you have a boy, you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? Yes. Boys are not like girls, and, and I'm sure as parents you know that. But confession and then restitution, that's the important thing. Notice, but if the man has no relative to whom restitution may be made for the wrong, the restitution must go to the Lord, the priest. So they still had to do it, if, if the person died that they had the stole something from, and they couldn't give it back to that person. Then It was to go to God. They actually had to pay for it. So this is part of that restitution, part of the penalty. Penalties are always deterrence, wouldn't you agree? When there's a penalty, you can't just tell your child, okay, well, we'll just forget about it this time. You have to hold them accountable. They confess their sin, and they have to pay for it. Maybe it's sit, they're sitting in a corner. Maybe they're, they have to turn in a corner and stand, I don't know, right on a chalkboard. Whatever timeout, whatever it is. But the punishment should should be equal to the crime. You know, your you know, year and a half spills milk, you don't get mad and punish them, make them confess, because they're babies, you know. When they're older and they wo- willfully look at mom and they take the cup and they go like defiantly. I mean, does that has that ever happened to anybody in here? Am I the only one? When your children are so defiant? And then you have to, the punishment equals a crime. So that's really what's being taught here. So parents, here's, there's some instruction for you there. The, the point there, the point of this whole thing in Numbers 5 is that the, if you're going to have a right relationship to God, you've got to have a right relationship with everyone else around you. The horizontal has to be right in order for this one. You could also say the reverse. If this relationship is right, it'll be right with this relationship around you. Really important for us to understand that. And if there's a broken relationship here, there could be a broken relationship here. So it's so important. Confession and then the penalty there. And this is illustrated in the New Testament when Jesus said, don't come and worship me. Don't come and and go to the table, the Lord's table, when you have hate or spite towards someone in the fellowship that you worship in. This is the verse here. It's Matthew 5. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar. Go your way and first be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. It's really important to have a horizontal relationship, clean and pure, so you can serve God with a full heart, so you can do that work of ministry, so you can do the things God wants you to do without guilt. Now, verse 11 through 15. Here's the importance of maintaining purity in marriage. We're going to move to a marriage relationship here, and it's primarily wives. I've titled it Unfaithful Wives and Jealousy. Notice verse 11. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, If any man's wife goes astray and behaves unfaithfully toward him, and a man lies with her carnally, and it is hidden from the eyes of her husband, and it is concealed that she has defiled herself, and there was no witness against her, nor was she caught. So it's kind of we're laying out this groundwork for adultery here very clearly here and this law has a couple of different parts the the exposure of adultery the wife verse 12 that behaves unfaithfully so this law is to to expose that adultery as sin and then secondly to reveal maybe maybe a false accusation by a jealous husband those are the two uh points here and uh Really, God cares about women and He takes care of women. And in these societies, these primitive societies, women were really owned. They were traded. They weren't respected. And so, this law again, the laws that God institutes for, for women are, are very important because it brings them to a place where they're protected. When you look at the laws of God, they protect women. And we'll see that here. This law would protect a woman from a false. Accusation, And again, verse 13, and there was no witness against her. So the husband is saying, she did this and she is that, and, but there's no witnesses. So this is fair, and this brought protection to her. But whether it's to expose adultery and, and her sin or to, to uh, uh, acquit her of a false accusation, Verse 14, if the spirit of jealousy comes upon him and he becomes jealous of his wife who has defiled herself or if the spirit of jealousy comes upon him and be, he becomes jealous of his wife although she has not defiled herself. So, so he's talking about you know, a false accusation or jealousy by a husband or if in fact it was true that she committed adultery. And here's the, how you deal with that, verse 15. The man shall bring his wife to the priest. He shall bring the offering required for her, one-tenth of an epaph of barley meal. He shall pour no oil on it and put no frankincense on it because it's a grain offering of jealousy. Different than if we studied Leviticus, there was the grain offering and you always put oil in it. It always came wet. In this case, it comes dry. It's a different kind of an offering. And it, it's... It, it's really interesting the, the whole way this plays out here. But, but this meal, this barley meal, dry barley meal without oil or without frankincense. Frankincense is a beautiful smelling, but it has a sweet taste. So it would be like the honey on your oatmeal. You know, this is the, the sweetener. And, and, and God's saying, I don't want it to be sweet. I want it to be bitter. This whole, this, uh, this whole uh, concoction that we're going to see is very bitter, no says no sugar, no sweetener, just normal grain. And again, this is a unique offering because it's an offering of, for the adulterer. It's all about that. Nothing sweet about adultery. Nothing sweet um, about jealousy, right? So this offering really is a bitter uh, uh, offering here. Either the wife's guilty of adultery or the husband's guilty of, of slandering Uh, and and groundless suspicion of jealousy here. So, verse 15, again, an offering for remembering, for bringing iniquity to remembrance. So, this offering is going to bring remembrance to both of these people, the husband and the wife here. God's going to use it to bring adjudication here in in their, their lives. Again, the priest is going to initiate all of these things, but it's a public ceremony. so the whole community is going to know the outcome of, of this offering and what happens here. And this is the obvious deterrent right you wouldn't you, you don't want people to know you want to do this stuff in the dark and be in hide from it. So the deterrent would be this is going to be done in the open with a priest, public ceremony. So th- that's the deterrent for the, for the rest of the community there. Verse 16 through 28, we get the ritual. You call it a ceremony or a ritual of uncovering her sin. Notice verse 16, the priest shall bring her near and set her before the Lord. So the man, the husband brings the dry grain and and the wife, the accused. And then the priest brings her near to set her before the Lord. The priest takes holy water in an earthen vessel, the holy water, would, where would that have been? Remember the tabernacle? Remember the big lava outside the tabernacle, full of water? What, what would the priest do there? Wash, ceremonially wash, because they were sacrificing in the, at the altar, right? Remember the, that whole picture of the tabernacle? you got to remember that. We studied that. And so they take get some water out of that lava there, or the priest would get the water, and he put it in a vessel, an earthen vessel, and take some of the dust. That's on the floor of the tabernacle. So you have water. That's dirty water, right? They wash their hands. And then you got dirt from the floor of the tabernacle. Interesting concoction here. Then the priest shall stand the woman before the Lord and uncover her head. And that, that was always a very humbling thing. Women uh, in that day and age wouldn't cut their hair, and they would cover it. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's called is Isn't it called a manatee? Remember, we were at a, a brethren church in, in New England about 20 years ago, visiting a friend, and we went to this Plymouth Brethren Church. And the women covered their head with a, looks like a little doily. And so Esther and I, we work from Calvary Chapel. We walk, hey, we're going to go to church. And we walk in there, hey, how you doing, brother, sister? And the women are, have their head covered. And one of the ladies very gently comes over to Esther and says, here, you, you might want to put this on. And so she did. She just put it on a little. It was cute, and it looked nice. And she had that on. It was her head covering. In this day and age, here, and this, to uncover your hair, have the priest take your hair down. That was a very humbling thing to do. It was a sign of, of, of remorse and humility. And so that's what the priest is doing here, in this ceremony. He. Uh, uncovers her head, put the offering of remembering in her hands. So now the, the, the grain offering that the husband brings now goes into her hands and the priest shall have his hand in the bitter water that brings a curse. Now, again, this is a fascinating ritual or a fascinating ceremony that we're reading about here. And it's just a, this whole test is going to reveal some things about the corruption in her heart if, if it's true. Or the corruption in his heart. So it's going to reveal corruption uh, either way. This uncovering her head and she's holding the grain offering that her husband brought in. Um, Again, the grain offering that we read about in Leviticus was something that was rejoiced over. God provided produce. The people took the grain, the first grain, and they waved it before the Lord, remember, and they baked bread, the showbread. I mean, this was an important part of of fellowship with God. It just spoke of their fellowship and their love for the Lord, the grain offering. But in this case, not so. This ritual is going to bring out the, the real sin of the heart. It's this bitter water and the grain and the dirty dust from the tabernacle floor is all mixed together in this bitter concoction that we're looking at. And then the priest would pronounce an oath. Verse 19, the priest shall put her under oath and say, if no man has lain with you, and if you have not gone astray to uncleanness while under your husband's authority, be free from this bitter water that brings a curse. So she's going to have to drink this stuff. And the priest is saying, you know, if you're good, if you're clean, if if you're undefiled, no big deal. You'll drink the water. It's bitter, but nothing will happen. But, verse 20, if you have gone astray while under your husband's authority, and if you have defiled yourself some, with some man other than your husband has lain with you, again, the priest is declaring that if the woman is innocent of adultery, she's going to be free of this bitter water, this curse here. But if she's guilty, she's going to be under it. Verse 21. Then the priest shall put the woman under the oath of the curse, and he shall say to the woman, The Lord make you a curse and an oath among your people, when the Lord makes your thigh rot and your belly swell. Wow. And may this water that causes the curse go into your stomach and make your belly swell and your thigh rot. Now, it's an obvious curse, right? sexually immoral, adulterous relationship. It's going to produce something, right, in a woman's body. The thigh, ro- that's I mean, that's right there where the womb is. The belly, so they're talking about what's going to happen in this woman's body because of her sexual immorality, her, her adulterous relationship. Uh, interesting the way it's worded here and, and when we look at it. So the, the thigh rotting or the belly swelling here. The baby's going to die because of her sin. She's going to be unable to ever have children again because of her sin. That, that's really the judgment or the punishment here. Um, it's interesting here, or as you read this, the woman shall say, verse 22, amen. Amen. So the, the priest pronounces this, you know, you're going to drink this bitter water. If you're innocent, you'll be good. You'll, you'll choke a little bit. It's hard to swallow it. It's, but if you're guilty, you're going to swallow and you're going to get sick. And you're, be, you're probably going to vomit, and your belly's going to swell. and your thigh's going to rot. You're going to rot in the inside. It's quite a dramatic curse, wouldn't you agree? And then she had to say in front, publicly in front of the priest, Whatever God wants to do, whatever the judgment, amen, the judgment of God. God is going to judge me, and amen, so be it. She had to agree that if she was innocent, she deserved acquittal, you know, and if she was guilty, she deserved the punishment of the curse. So it's interesting she's not allowed the option of saying, well, I, I did it, but it, it's because of, my husband was wasn't really taking care of me and 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 my emotional need was met by my boss at work and 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 i was really in love with him and no excuse right no excuses here either sin is sin listen sin is sin you're either guilty or innocent and god will judge sin and now here in verses 23 through 28 we get this mixture i call it the medicine of truth i i don't know what else to name it but Very interesting, this concoction that's being made, and now she's going to have to drink this. And and remember, this this is all happening right there in the the courtyard of the tabernacle in public display. You have the priests doing their work, and what's going on over there? You know, and oh, this, look at, he's got dry grain. Oh, you know what that means. Everybody knew what this was. This was a public demonstration. And the priest is declaring the oath, and she speaks out, Amen, so be it. And then we have this medicine of truth, verse 23. Then the priest shall write the curses in a book. And he shall scrape them off into the bitter water. And he shall make the woman drink the bitter water that brings a curse. And the water that brings the curse shall enter her and become bitter. It's kind of interesting. I, I think of a woman that's really guilty. She's not going to drink it. She knows what's going to happen. This has happened before. She knows. She knows. It's like the guy standing at the gallows, you know. But the priest is going to make her drink this. And it's this medicine of truth the, the oath written on paper and the ink scraped off. And it's very bitter, this whole thing that she's drinking. Dirty water, dust from the tabernacle, then this crusty ink from this old parchment that they're writing, and scraped into this water. And now she has to drink this medicine here of, of truth. Verse 25, then the priest shall take the grain offering of jealousy from the woman's hand and shall wave the offering before the Lord and bring it to the altar. So the woman's drank, drank this stuff and she's waiting for the result. The priest takes the, the grain and weighs it for I'm doing what you... Uh, Everybody sees, whenever they did a wave offering, it was really public display. So everybody's seeing, this is what's good. God. She's taking the oath. The priest is waving the grain offering. It's a public display. Everybody sees what's uh, going on. And the priest shall take a handful of the offering as its memorial portion, burn it on the altar, and afterward make the woman drink the water. When he has made her drink the water, then it shall be, if she has defiled herself or behaved unfaithfully toward her husband, that the water that brings a curse will enter her and become bitter, and her belly will swell, her thigh will rot, and the woman will become a curse among her people. But if the woman has not defiled herself and is clean, then she shall be free and may conceive children. See, the belly rotting and the whole thing about the womb is destroyed because of her sin, or if she's free, then she can bear more children, which is really what they all loved to do, and they felt that was a blessing of God, the Hebrew people have children. So again, God's judgment is clearly seen publicly by the priest, by the husband, and even made known through the wife. If she became sick, that was evidence of her guilt, but if she was free of sickness, she would continue to bear children. Everyone would know. She would be vindicated. That's, that's what's happening. Now, some rabbis added to this, and I found this in a several places as I did my study, but there, I thought it was interesting that some Jewish rabbis said that if the woman was guilty, the same disease would come upon the man. So I guess that was a way to say it was fair in that case. And you know that God's not going to let the man go scot-free. But the woman would become pregnant, obviously, if she was in an adulterous relationship. She'd have to lie about it, and everyone would know that to public display. So thats he's judging the woman. The woman gets judged here, and I don't think the man was was let free at all. The woman was punished if she committed adultery. But if she admitted adultery, after she's sick, you know, I, I would think she would. She's, she's barfing, and her thighs are swelling, her belly's getting big, and she's like, it was him. And guess what would happen? If that was corroborated, him, what would they do to an adulterous couple? What would happen if you committed adultery in this culture? What happened? Stoning. 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 So there's judgment for the man. It's in Leviticus 20. Here it is. Behind me, the man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Stoning. So, this hope, we're talking about separating from sin. We're talking about this issue of sexual sin, which would have been taken place. Two and a half million people, this is a problem. They're in the desert. And so, God has this way to separate from sin and a way to reveal to reveal this adulteress and adultery in, in that culture there, in that society, in that, that nation. The whole thing here is to protect this wife of a jealous husband who might bring charges against his wife. So this would protect her. This, that's important to, to note. And if he was wrong, he would suffer the shame. I mean, think about that. If he was wrong... And this woman doesn't get sick, and she's okay. The priest is going to look at him. The family is going to look at him. You know, father-in-law is going to probably go after him, maybe not with a shotgun but with a club, teach him a lesson. Or, you know, just think about that. I, that's part of this whole thing. It was all done in, in public. The adultery was exposed, or the, the jealous husband was Exposed And here's the point, the seriousness of sin. Sin will always lead to death. And be careful and know that your sin will always find you out. Always. Don't play with it. Separate yourself from sin. That's, again, the title of this study, sanctification through separation. Now, here's the resolution of this whole ritual, verse 29. This is the law of jealousy when a wife while under her husband's authority goes astray and defiles herself. Or when the spirit of jealousy comes upon the man, and the, he becomes jealous of his wife, then he shall stand the woman before the Lord, and the priest shall execute all the law upon her. And the man shall be free from iniquity, but the woman shall bear her guilt. So there's, that's how it all works out. That's the resolution of it all. Either she's vindicated or, and he's guilty, or he's vindicated and she's guilty, and there's a price to pay, a penalty there, This whole ritual was meant to resolve a problem, resolve sin, just like confession and restitution is to resolve sin. That's the beautiful thing about grace and God working in our life. Grace is available. God wants to resolve your sin problem, and he does it through grace. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you believe the gospel, and God separates you from your sin. He forgives you from your sin and cleanses you from all unrighteousness. First John 1, 9, when you what? Confess, confess. Beautiful, beautiful truth here. You could apply this in so many different ways. I, I could apply it. I had some points to apply it to healthy marriage. Let me just throw the points up real quick. For peace, for a healthy marriage. Because when I talk about adultery, that's that's going to come up. St- very stinging. Very, um, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure what the statistic is in the church today. I, I read things, and some people say it's just as much in the church as the world. I just, I don't find that. I, I, I don't see that. I, I've been in ministry 30 years. I don't see Yes, it happens, but I don't see that happening more than in the world. Um, But here's four Ps for a healthy marriage. Number one, be protective. In other words, avoid risky situations where you're alone with your boss or with the opposite sex. Just avoid those things. Most people don't plan to be unfaithful. They fall into adultery. Satan is very, very wily. And he puts these carrots in front of you to draw you away from the natural and, and get you to do sin. So be protective of your relationship. Number two, be positive. As a married couple, don't, don't become same old, mundane, routine, and, and just be negative all the time to your wife, your husband. Negative, negative, negative. Be positive. Be thoughtful. Be protective. Be positive. Look for some way to... to uh, honor your spouse and encourage them and say something wonderful of, of appreciation or affirmation every day. Think about it. Number 3, be polite. I, I see that, you know, the older we get, we we you know, it's the same. I told you for 40 years I've been telling you that, you know. Blah, 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 you know, so be polite. Would you just be polite? We all have bad hair days, you know. We need to be respectful of one another. Be polite. And then And then finally, I I really like this one. Be playful. Make your relationship fun. Go on a date night. Laugh together. Go somewhere and be entertained and and enjoy that together. Be playful and and invest in your marriage. Christian couples who, I, I believe we should have the best marriages out there in the world. We have God. We have all this stuff. So adultery really shouldn't be part of our vocabulary. We should be investing and protecting our our marriage. Paul in Ephesians 5 likens marriage to our relationship with Jesus Christ. He says this, we're members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. They, They should be joined. What's that? That's marriage, right? And the two shall become one flesh. But we're members of his body. Remember that married couple. Remember that. You're part of his body. You're accountable to him. Be polite, positive, playful, and protective in your relationship. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word tonight. Thank you for its truth. And and Lord, so long ago, this history took place and so applicable in our lives today. I pray, Lord, that uh, if there are those here that have fallen into the sin of adultery, that they would come to you and confess. That they would take the punishment, Lord, but be honest and truthful and confess to you. Pray, Lord, that, that if that's been part of anyone's past Help them to understand that as they confess it, you've forgiven them completely. There's nothing that can be brought up again, shouldn't be brought up again. And God won't remember it. That He forgives you completely of all unrighteousness. So thank you for that, Lord. And Father, I just pray that you would protect us in this fellowship. Protect the single men from adultery or the single women from fornication, or adultery. Protect us, Lord, so that we might be separate from sin to honor your name. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together.